If you have your Bible, Mark chapter 4 is where we're going to start. Um, we just finished the series called Called Out. We looked at Luke chapter 5, and we talked about putting our calling from Jesus um, over our own personal comfort. And We talked about how Jesus is always going to be calling us from where we are to where he wants us to be, where, where he, he is taking us. And we've talked about we've, we're all created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose, and, and he's constantly going to be calling us and pushing us forward into that purpose. Now, within that, um, the devil doesn't want us moving out of our comfort zone. He wants us to stay right where we're at. And so we're constantly going to be fought. There's constantly going to be resistance. There's constantly going to be these things that come up in our life to, to, make, it, to make it difficult to go from here to here. Um, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy following Jesus, is it? No. <laughs> you can interact. It's okay. It's cool. It's, it's fine. You can, you can talk. Um, it's not easy following Jesus. In fact, people have told me, you know, it's, it, it, some days I feel like I shouldn't even be a Jesus follower because if I'm not following Jesus, I don't feel like anything is going wrong in my life. And, and, and you know what? If you're not following Jesus, probably nothing is going wrong in your life because the devil's not messing with you. You, you know what I'm talking about? The devil's going to leave you alone when you're over here. It's when you start stepping into who Jesus has called you to be, who he's created you to be, that you get messed with it. There's this resistance. But God takes us through what is called a refining fire to, to, to build us, to help us persevere, to, to make us who it is he's created us to be. Does the process suck? Yeah. Do we wish it didn't happen? Yes. But is it necessary? Yes, it is. And so we're starting... With all of that in mind, a brand new series today called Battleground. It's a look at spiritual warfare. Now, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. All my cards on the table. I don't want to do this. I, I don't. Super hesitant and terrified about this series because of the fact of when we expose darkness to the light, the darkness gets ticked off and attacks start coming. And so I'm going to throw this out at the very beginning of the series. We need prayer. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be praying for this church. You need to pray for the staff. You need to pray for your pastor. You need to pray for our families. You, you need to pray um, that we would be able to fully put on the full armor of God and stand against everything the devil throws at us. Because if you're new to Central and you haven't been around Central um, for a while or you don't know what we're all about, we're about storming the gates of hell. All right, so we're, we're going after it. And um, this, this, this series is one of those timely series where, hey, we don't really feel like doing it, but we understand the need of it so we can continue to do what God has called us to do. Storm the gates of hell. Go out into our communities. Make the name of Jesus famous. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend um, the majority of our time in this series in Mark chapter 4, the end of Mark chapter 4, and Mark chapter 5. Um. We did the Luke thing, and we spent seven weeks in Luke chapter 5, and I thought, well, that was kind of cool, and so let's do that again. Let's just take, let's just take one section of Scripture, and let's look at that, and, and let's really see what it says about how we stand um, in the midst of battle. Today is going to be like a 30,000-foot view of all of the things we talk about in this series. And so I'm going to give you kind of bits and pieces of, of what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Let me set today up like this. <laughs> there are things in this world that I don't understand. 
right? There, there are things in this world you don't understand, right? Men, do you understand women? It's okay, once again, to say no. It's just cool. It's all right. She knows. You don't know. I mean, she, she already knows. There are things I don't understand. There are things that you don't understand. There, there are things in this world that, that we collectively just, we just can't wrap our minds around. And we look at it and we're like, what the heck? We watch somebody do something and, and we wonder, how, how could you do that? How could you let that be a part of your life? How, how, could, how could you just, how can you embrace that? For me, one of the things I don't understand, I don't get, I don't know why you do it, is people who like scary movies. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I don't, because scary movies freak me out. They're called scary movies for a reason. Because they what? Scare you, right? Recently, somebody asked me to go see the movie Dr. Sleep. No way! No! Dr. Sleep, I am not going to see Anybody in this room see that movie? Anybody see it? Yeah, one of the people that asked me to go see it just raised his hand in the third row right there. I have no, he's like, you want to go see Dr. Sleep? No! I have no interest in seeing that movie. Listen, 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 listen. The pre, I, was, I was watching TV one night. The preview for this movie came on. I didn't sleep for three days. Terrified. And the reason was is because it's part number two of The Shining. I saw that as a kid. Scared to death. How many of you saw that movie? Yeah, I was in like first grade. I did not ride my big wheel for three months afterwards because I was afraid I was going to run into those girls. I'm still terrified of these girls today. People say all the time, oh, at my last church, they would bring little girls up dressed in dresses, and, and they would sing, and it was so glorious. Why don't we do that at Central? That's why! Running out home, not being able to sleep for a month. Oh, my gosh. Your kids are great, but, man, I don't love scary movies. I love comedies. I love action. I love adventure. I love Braveheart. I love Gladiator. I, I love war movies. Oh, I don't like that stuff. But our world does. You let a movie come out with paranormal activity, scary movies, horror. You let a book come out on spiritual activity, angels, demons, the supernatural. And our world eats it up. But strangely, the church, for some reason, stays away from the subject. And I think one of the reasons why, there's this guy, C.S. Lewis. You know him. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. He he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. Those were really good movies. They weren't really scary. They were pretty cool. But, but he said this. He's talking about why the church really stays away. And he says there, there's, there's two big reasons why. He says this. There are two equal and opposite heirs into which our race can fall about the devils. And he's talking about demons and, and the, the supernatural, all this stuff. He says one is to disbelief and their existence. And, and I, I read this survey this week that said 40 to 45% of evangelical Christians, those are Jesus followers. Those are people who identify of, I'm a follower of Jesus. I've asked Jesus to come into my life. I've trusted him with my salvation, all, all of that stuff. I believe in him. I, I, I believe in that. I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe, oh, Holy Spirit, come. like, oh, I can't sing it, but you, you know what I mean? They're like, Holy Spirit, come, like, cool, I'm good with that. I'm good with all of those things. But they doubt the existence of devil and demons. That's evangelicals. And listen to me, you can't have one without the other. You just can't. They, they both exist. But 40 to 45% of people coming into the church do not believe in the devil and demons. That's crazy. 
So some people say they don't exist. Then he says this, the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. In other words, some people are way too obsessed with the spiritual and they blame everything on the devil. Do you know those people? You ever met anybody who blames everything on the devil? I was talking to a guy one time. He's like, I want to outstart my car, and my car wouldn't start. It's a stinking devil. I was like, no, dude, you haven't changed your oil in like seven years, man. It's not the devil's fault. It's your stupidity, right? So some people, way too obsessed with it, blame everything on the devil. Other people are like, oh, that doesn't really happen. You know, Jesus, you hate Jesus, but there ain't no devil. There ain't none of that. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is to dive into this subject of spiritual warfare. I believe it's going to be a very balanced approach. I believe it's going to be a very biblically-based approach. But it's going to be tough, I'm not going to lie. It's going to be tough. It's going to be difficult. Because the devil doesn't want us learning. But the devil doesn't want us equipped on how to fight him. And this series isn't intended to freak anybody out. It's not intended to scare anybody. It's not intended to make you say, well, I don't want to follow Jesus if I'm going to have to go through that, if there are going to be storms in my life, and there are going to be trials, and there are going to be... Jesus himself said that we are going to encounter difficulties in this life when we follow him. This series is intended to inform us so we can actually walk in victory rather than feeling beaten down all the time. Does anybody want that? Does anybody want to walk in victory rather than feeling like you're getting your butt kicked any day, every day? Anybody want that? I, I know that's what I want. And so today, what we're going to do, again, I'm going to give you a 30,000-foot view of where we're going over the next several weeks. We're going to look at a big section of Scripture today, like 27 verses. I don't normally do this. This is probably going to be more teaching than preaching, but it should be good. All right, we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. We're going to end in Mark chapter 5, verse 20. Uh, again, this is an over, everybody say overview. This is an overview today. We're going to come back over the next several weeks, and we're going to take what I tell you today, and we're going to look at it again, section by section, verse by verse. Now, now some people might argue, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, to Mark chapter 5, verse 20, that's not your typical spiritual warfare passage. Oh, you might be right. But as um, I'm studying through this, I'm getting my butt kicked. I see so much going on in this, and so I want to take some time for us to, to look at this in detail. So here we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when, e- this, is, this is Jesus, okay? That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, stop. When Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, when we read that, we kind of typically just skim past that. Doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot to us. But going to the other side was really bold. Because where Jesus was at right here in this time, he was in Capernaum. This is a different time than what we talked about um, the last seven weeks. But he's in Capernaum, the same place we talked about, little Jewish fishing village full of Jews. The other side was where the Gentiles lived. And Jews and Gentiles did not associate with each other. I mean, the radical or the racial tension between them was insane. And so when Jesus says, hey guys, let's go over to the other side, he's telling the disciples, I'm taking you out of your comfort zone. I'm taking you from where you are to where I want you to be. We just spent seven weeks talking about the fact that Jesus is always doing that. And here's the thing. The disciples, if you read through Mark chapter 4, they had been doing all of this stuff. They had been with Jesus. 
They want to just make a fire and, and sit back and chill and just hang out. They're comfortable. Things are going well. There's good stuff happening where they're at. And Jesus says, no, I'm going to take you out of your, your familiar place. I'm going to take you to an unfamiliar place. I'm going to take you out of your comfort zone, and I'm going to take you to an uncomfortable place to be around uncomfortable people. Now, now, when we talk about this, and we talk about going from comfortable to uncomfortable, we talk about going from where we are to where Jesus wants us to be. Some people say if we face resistance along the way, it's because we're not in God's will. Listen, it doesn't always mean that we're not in God's will. Sometimes, don't miss this, don't miss this, this is huge. Sometimes when we're facing resistance from the enemy, it, it, it's, it's because God's calling us out of our comfort zone and the enemy wants us to stay here. You understand that? The devil wants us to stay here. The devil wants us to think, this is all you're ever going to be. Okay, yeah, you're following Jesus, you're in the Jesus thing, okay, I, I got that, everything's, yeah, you're all right, but, but you, can't do, you can't do anything more. You can't, go, you can't take another step. The devil doesn't want us to take a next step. The devil wants us to stay here where we feel comfortable, where we get lazy, where he can come after us. We'll talk about that more in a couple weeks. I just want to kind of bring it out because it's in the text right here. Look at this. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. <laughs> there were also other boats with him. I've been studying this for a couple weeks now, right? And, and I'm... I'm sure I'm going to like read some more about this, but I have no idea why Mark puts this in here. I have no idea why he tells us there are other boats with him. He just, he just does. Now look at this. A furious squall, this means a storm. A furious storm came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now here's a question. I'm just going to ask this question. I'm not going to answer it today. All right? I'm just going to ask you. I'm, I'm not going to answer. Who sent the storm? Who sent the storm? Did God send the storm? Or does Satan actually have authority at times to control the weather? Who sent the storm? We'll, we'll answer that in a couple weeks. I'm not going to answer it today. Don't ask. Don't even come up to me after service. People have already done it and ask. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm just asking the question. How much authority does Satan have? Just bringing it up because it's in the text right here. Because somebody sent the storm, right? The Bible says that there was a storm, came up, waves were coming, almost swamped them. Who sent the storm? The KCCI meteorologist didn't send it. They were probably there to cover it, right? But, but they didn't send it. So who did? Who did? I'll tell you that later. Look at this, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Everybody say cushion. Cushion, that's huge, enormous, all right? I'm going to talk about the cushion in like three or four weeks. You're going to need to remember cushion right here. Cushion is very, very, very important. We're going to come back to the cushion. Write down cushion in your outline, tattoo it on your hand, whatever you got to do. Cushion, everybody remember that. We're coming back to the what? The cushion. It's going to be awesome. Hopefully I remember. You realize sometimes I say I'm going to do something and then something else happens and I forget. Anyway, uh, we're going to talk about that because it's huge. So Jesus is sleeping in, in the stern. Jesus is in the stern doing what? Sleeping. Now sometimes we over-spiritualize the Bible. I've heard people preach on this text and they're like, Jesus was sleeping. He was able to have the peace and tranquility that he had because God is in control and Jesus just knew that God was in control. 
And God was supplying his every need. That sounds awesome, except it's most likely not true. The reason Jesus was sleeping, you want to know why? Because he was tired, right? Dude is fully God and fully man. And so if you read Mark chapter 4, what he had been doing all day, he was tired. When you get tired, you you sleep. That's what he's doing. And so Jesus is sleeping on a cushion. Yes, you got it. Awesome. The disciples woke him and said to him, watch this, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care if we drown? Have you ever asked God that question? Don't you care? God, don't you care? God, don't you see what I'm going through? Like, don't you care? God, don't you care that my life is falling apart? God, don't you care that I'm dealing with all of the stress and anxiety? God, don't you care that my kids are going crazy? God, don't you care that I'm going crazy? God, don't you care that my relationships are falling apart? God, don't you care? What I have found, especially in the church world, is when we ask God that question, when we say, God, don't you care? A lot of people look down on us. A lot of people say, you shouldn't be asking God those questions. Of course God cares for you. But, but don't miss this. The people who were closest to Jesus asked him this question. Don't you care? Don't you care? It doesn't mean we're ungodly. It doesn't mean we're not following Jesus. It means you're human. But these guys wonder, Jesus, don't, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Gets better. Look at this. He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Some of us, we can't even do this with our kids. Quiet! Be still! And they're running around, losing their dang minds. You know what I'm talking about? But Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the weather. And the weather does what he tells it to do. Then look what happens. He said to the disciples, why are you afraid? Do you have no faith? That's a legitimate question because look how they were. Look at at verse 41. They were terrified, terrified. This freaked them out as it would have me and you, right? We would have been freaked out here. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That's a good question. It's a great question. Listen, there are things that are gonna happen in our lives where all hell breaks loose. But at the end of it, we're gonna be able to see Jesus more clearly than we saw him before it happened. Because I tell you all the time, when we see Jesus clearly, we will follow him closely. But sometimes it takes a storm for us to see Jesus more clearly. Don't miss that. Sometimes it takes a storm in order for us to see Jesus more clearly. Spiritual warfare is all involved in this text. And I know some of you are like, I don't see it. Like I said, we're going to unpack this in the weeks to come. Today is just an overview, right? Now, look at Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They went across the lake. It's a continuation of the story. They went across the lake, see a Galilee. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerenes. I, 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 man, I'm just struggling with this word all day. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, let me set this up. Scary movie fans, this would be an incredible opening to a scary movie. It it would, because we know, check this out, we know from the Gospel of Luke, Mark doesn't tell us this right here, but Luke tells us the same exact story. And Luke tells us this dude is naked, all right? Like, this guy has on no clothes. So you got naked streaker man in the Bible, 
and he's demon-possessed, and he's coming out after Jesus. Like, is, is that crazy? Like, is that not like the way like scary movies start? It's messed up. Verse 3, look at this. The man lived in the tombs. Lived in the tombs. I've lived in some rough places. I've lived in some rough houses. I never lived in a cemetery. I never been like like I don't even like cemeteries. They freak me out. Anybody else with me? Anybody else like, hey, we got to go visit the cemetery tonight. Well, what time is it? 5:30. What time does it get dark? 5:34. Uh-uh. Ain't going, man. Any chance like the sun's going down? I'm not going. But but this this man, naked man, possessed by demons. We're gonna see in a, in a little bit. He's possessed by demons. Lived in the tombs. Lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains. What's going on here is the religious system of that day. If you were demon-possessed, one of the ways that they would try to cast the demons out of you is they would come, and they would chain you, and they would throw water on you, and they would do some incantations to try to get your head to spin around and get the demons to come out of you or whatever, right? They, they, would, they would try all of these, these rituals, and they would try to do all of these things. They would try to do all of this religious activity to try to get the demons to come out. And what we need to understand is that religious activity never works when it comes to spiritual warfare. Religious activity never works when it comes to spiritual warfare. That's the reason why a lot of people get their butt kicked is because they're so dependent on religious activity. And it's not about religious activity, it's about a relationship with Jesus. Not rules, not rituals, a relationship with Jesus. A relationship the Savior. So people are tried. They tried to remove his demons. They're like, hey, we're going to take the demon-possessed man that's naked. We're going to put chains on him. We're going to throw some water on him. We're going to do it all in God's name. That's what they're trying to do, and it's not working. He keeps breaking the chains. Look at this. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So they left this guy alone, which, which is probably a good idea, right? This is crazy, naked, demon-possessed man running around the graveyard, and they're like, hide your wife, hide your kids. We don't have nothing to do with him. Stay away from him. Let's keep going, because this is great. Verse 5, night and day, amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out. That, that's huge. That, him crying out is huge. We're going to look at this in depth. We're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about how Jesus hears. Oh, my gosh, it's going to be so good. <laughs> night and day, amongst the tombs and the hills, he would cry out, and cut himself. Now, now, real quick, let me point this out. Cutting and self-mutilation was happening 2,000 years ago. It's right here in the Bible. And in this case, it's happening because of demonic possession. Listen. I don't believe that everybody that cuts themselves is possessed by a demon. But I do believe there's a spiritual element to it. I, I, I really do. One of the things, don't miss this. One of the things about spiritual warfare, one of the things the enemy wants us to do is, is get ourselves into a pattern where we harm ourselves. He wants to get us into a pattern where we hurt ourselves. And if we're not harming ourselves physically, we'll harm ourselves emotionally by, by negative thoughts that keep us depressed, anxious, worried, in a freaked out state of mind. I can't wait to, I, I can't wait to talk about this right here. Because see, spiritual warfare if you're in Christ, spiritual warfare, the goal of the enemy is to get us to hurt ourselves. And one of the main avenues that he uses is our thought life. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. It's going to be awesome. 
Look at this. When he saw Jesus, the demon-possessed man, naked demon-possessed dude, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Listen, this is not a fight. Everybody imagines Jesus and Satan in a boxing match, and they're just standing toe-to-toe, and they're just going at it, man. They're just trading punches. This is not a boxing match. Notice when the the demon-possessed man runs up to him, he doesn't say, hey, Jesus, let's fight. He falls to his knees, and then he says this. Look at this. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Years ago, I, I was... I was visiting a church, and um, I heard a pastor say, I wish I could get everyone in the world to buy into demon theology. I don't know why all the pastors I tell you about have southern accents, by the way. I just, I don't. He's like, I wish I could get everyone to buy into demon theology. Freak me out. I'm about to walk out. I've never been here. I don't know what kind of church this is. And he's talking about buying the demon theology. I look around. People are whispering to each other. Everyone's getting a little bit nervous. And then he stops and he says this. I'll never forget this. He said, the reason I wish people would buy into demon theology is because anytime a demon saw Jesus in the Bible, he always got it right. He always said, you are the son of God. Think about that. Think about that. Read, read the Gospels. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. A, a demon never looks at Jesus and goes, you're just a good teacher. You're just a moral man. <laughs> they always get freaked out and call him who he was. You're the son of the most high God. That's what a demon does. That's what a demon says. And then he, and then he looks at him and says, don't torture me. That's legit. That's the demon who is scaring everybody. Nobody wants to be around this guy. He's running around in the graveyard, naked, demon-possessed. He's he's now terrified in the presence of Jesus. You you see that? Do you see this? We'll talk about this more in a few weeks. Be cool. Jesus has said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. So right here, right here, this is huge. This is huge. Jesus has now commanded the demon to come out of the man. And then watch this. Watch this. This is, this, is probably one of the, this is probably one of the greatest parts of this entire thing. Jesus said, what is your name? Now, this is the part of the message I can't wait to get to. Because every time we look at this, every time we see this, we think Jesus is asking the demon, what's your name? I'm not sure about that. I believe Jesus was asking the man, what's your name? What's your name? Because that's an easy question, right? That, that's a question that you get right every time. What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Dude, see, we got that, right? We, we, we understand that. We know that. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now and ask him, what's your name? Everybody probably told you the right name, right? I mean, you understand what your name is. But watch what this man does. This man has been... Uh, I wish I could get into this right now. We have to wait. This man has been oppressed for so long that he doesn't identify with his name. He identified with what was oppressing him. Look look at this. He says, my name is Legion. He doesn't say, my name is Frank. My name is Steve. My name is Scott. My name is Chloe. My name is John. My name is Adam. He identifies not with his own name. He identifies with his dysfunction. Ooh, don't miss this. One of the ways that Satan is kicking some major butt 
is he has so many people in the church world, in the church right now, probably right now in here today, that you won't identify yourself as a child of God. You identify with your dysfunction. And as long as we identify with our dysfunction, we will always walk in defeat. Always. As long as we identify with our dysfunction, we will always walk in defeat. He says, my name is Legion, for we are many. So it's not just like one demon. There are thousands. Scholars believe that a legion was somewhere between three and 6,000. Is that a lot, yes or no? Yes. Let's just guess on the low side. Let's say 3,000. If dude has 3,000 demons in him, do you want any part of that guy? No. You got naked 3,000 demon-possessed man running around in the graveyard, you ain't visiting nobody that day, right? I mean, this is crazy, right? He said, for we are many, and he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. He begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. Once again, who's in control in this scenario? Who, who has authority? Who reigns supreme in this scenario? Who? Jesus, right? It's not even a fight. It's not even a close, fair fight. But, but watch this. Think about this. Another legitimate question. We'll come back to it. They beg Jesus. They beg Jesus to do what? Not to send them out of the area. So think about this. Do demons have territories assigned to them? Do they? Are there demons assigned to certain territories? Are there? Once again, you're going to have to wait like four weeks for the answer to that question. Because once again, this is just an overview today. A large Look at this. A large herd of pigs, which makes me think of board arrows. <laughs> Everything makes me think of food. I mean, this is a lot of bacon. Look, look, look. the other day, he had this burger. It was 50% beef, 50% pork, with a piece of ham on top of it, some cheese and some caramelized onion. How many of you had that thing? It's like on Wednesday. Anybody have that thing? I'm going to tell you what. You all don't love Jesus if you ain't going there and getting his lunch. I went to Burger King past. No! Anyway. Stop. This one's being live streamed. <laughs> A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us amongst the pigs, allow us to go into them. That's weird. Right? That's messed up. Who does that? And then this happens. Verse 13. He gave them permission. Once again. This is all about God's authority. They could not do a thing. Don't, don't miss this and don't forget this. They could not do a thing without his permission. And so he gave them permission. And then I'm just imagining this scene in my mind. It's really funny. It's really sad, but, but it's really funny in my mind. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number. That's a lot, right? 2,000 pigs is a lot. I think maybe the most pigs I've ever been around in my life that are alive is like four. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and they're loud. I can't even imagine like 2,000 pigs squealing and, and going crazy. Like I just, all right. 2,000 pigs squealing, freaking out, possessed by demons now, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now that's sad. Can you imagine that? 2,000 pigs lost their dang minds. Jump off the cliff and drown themselves. 
Don't miss this. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the enemy's goal, the goal of the devil, is to steal, kill, and destroy. And so they went from trying to destroy this man to destroying the pigs. Make no mistake about it, they will destroy anything and everything if we don't stand against them. If you're looking at this scene from the outside, if you're looking in, you're like, this is a great day. I mean, this is a great day for Jesus. I mean, Team Jesus just kicked butt. The disciples, man, they have got to be excited. They just saw thousands of demons. They had never seen anything like that. Like, they're probably celebrating. This is, a, this is a great day for naked man living in the tombs. This is an awesome, incredible day. Woo! Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. This is a great day for everyone involved in the story except for one person. Anyone guess who? The pig farmer, right? The pig farmer. This day sucked for him. <laughs> so we, we were talking about this. I've been, I've been kind of looking through this. I've been talking to some other people. This guy, this guy lost, this pig farmer, lost about three-quarters of a million dollars that day. Is that a lot of money? Yeah. His pigs probably supplied an entire village with meat. So this is huge. This is a big deal. This will come into play later. Verse 14 those tending the pigs ran off and reported this because they couldn't put it on their Snapchat stories and let everybody know. They didn't have that back then. They ran off and reported the town and the countryside, and the people went to see what had happened. So a big crowd is gathering around. Mark wants us to know that there are a lot of people here. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Just to let you know, I would have been as well. I would have been terrified. I'd have been freaked out if I'd always known this man as naked, demon-possessed man running around the tombs, and, and now he's sitting there dressed and in his right mind. Can we admit that that's a little strange, that's a little awkward, that's a little freaky, yes or no? Yes, but see, when Jesus changes, don't miss this, when Jesus changes people, Jesus changes people. When Jesus changes people, Jesus changes people. Jesus changed this man. Look at this, verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Now, now look at this response, because this is weird. This is messed up. This is crazy. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Why? Why? He had just stepped into an area where other people weren't willing to step. He encountered a man that nobody else was willing to encounter, and he set him free. People come and see it, and all of a sudden, they asked Jesus to leave. Why did they ask him to leave? We'll talk about it in a couple of weeks. You tired of me saying that yet? Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, which I can understand. Here comes the guy that set me free. I had thousands of demons inside of me, and he set me free. That's my dude right there. I'm going to hang out with him. I want to follow him. No matter where he goes, no matter what he does, I'm going to be right there with him. Jesus did not let him. Can, can, can you imagine? Can you imagine this guy being so excited, so pumped up? He wants to be with Jesus. He gets in the boat, and Jesus says, get out. We don't got no room. Can't be with us. Jesus said this, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Jesus told, don't miss it, I love this. This guy went from 
naked, demon-possessed man living in the graveyard to an evangelist just like that. Do, do, do you see that? He didn't have to go to seminary. He didn't have to get uh, a master of divinity degree. He didn't have to go to Bible class. Jesus commissioned a guy who had at least a couple thousand demons cast out of him. He commissioned him to go preach the gospel. Isn't that amazing? That blows my mind. Jesus told him, just go tell your story. Just, just, go, just go tell your story. We've all got a story, don't we? Every one of us has a story. And Jesus says, just go tell it. Just go tell your story. Verse 20, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. That's ten cities. How many? Ten. Ten cities. I'm just going to come into play later. It's a big deal. There's a reason Mark mentions this. He began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all of the people were amazed. Now, that's the 30,000-foot view. I want to make three quick points, and then we're done. Number one, we live in a world at war. We live in a world at war. I'm not talking about like things we see on TV, like conflicts with Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, North Korea, China, wh whatever. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual war. We understand physical war because we see it. We see it now um, unlike we've ever seen it before. The, 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 first, the first war I remember was the Persian Gulf War. You remember that? Like Operation Desert Shield turned into Operation Desert Storm. I, I was in high school. I remember when this war started. It was like the first war you ever got to watch on TV. Remember that? You'd be sitting in class and something would happen and, and they would roll the TV in and they would turn it on and you got to see like the bombings and the raids and everything. It was kind of crazy. It was all green. You didn't really know what was going on, but they were, they were talking about it. And, and, and we actually watched it. It interrupted our classrooms so that we could see this. The first one that, that I remember happening. Going through this series, I've been, I've been thinking about warfare. And I've been thinking about what warfare looks like. I saw the movie 1917 recently. I, I like war movies. And um, I had been taught in school, and, and I'd seen pictures and all this stuff about trench warfare. And I, I thought I understood that. And, and then I watched the movie, and, and it was like the way that they depicted it was just like crazy, man. I'd never even like, I, I could never even imagine that in my mind. And, and it got me to thinking that, that warfare 100 years ago looks a whole lot different than it does today, yes or no? Yes. And, and warfare 100 years from now will look a lot different than it looks today, yes or no? Yes. And one of the things that I'm excited about of diving into this series is that when we read the Bible and we re, when, we, when we see warfare, spiritual warfare, in the Bible, um, I believe that Satan has been constantly modifying the way that he does warfare. L listen, in today's world, we're seeing it happen a lot differently. There are more people, especially here in the United States, struggling with anxiety and fear and depression and worry more than ever before. S suicide is dominating our culture. And I believe it's all impacted by a spiritual war. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we really do live in a world at war, which leads to number two, we can. Everybody say can. We can live by faith rather than being dominated by fear and uncertainty. We can. And, and, and the, reason, the reason I say this, um, I'm going to talk about this a lot throughout the series. Um, I'm probably going to expose myself to a point where you're like, 
why is that dude even up there on the stage? Why is he our pastor? You probably already think that, um, but I'll probably reaffirm some of that. Fear is my go-to emotion. Like fear, like, listen, this is like my therapy session. Coming out here, like every week, this is why I love to do it. You know, hi, I'm Ryan, I got a problem, right? And so that's just, that's just me. But fear is what, like fear dominates me. Everything from being afraid of mice <laughs> to if I'm laying in bed at night and I hear something, if I hear something like downstairs, my first go-to is, Mary, there's a mouse. It's going to kill me. It's making a lot of noise. It's a rat. It's going to come chew out my throat, right? I mean, I just go into like, like somebody's in my house. Somebody's going to kill Fear, Fear dominates me. It, it does in so many areas of my life. And I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times when it, when it comes to spiritual warfare, if we're honest with ourselves, fear is most of our go-to emotions. It is. And my hope is that throughout the process of this series, because once again, I, I just want to point out all through this text we just covered, who, who's clearly in control from beginning to end? I'm talking from the storm to the demon-possessed man. That there's no doubt who's in control. Jesus. Jesus is in complete control. And I know some people are like, well, if Jesus is in control, then why does my life feel so out of control? We're going to answer that question in this series, I promise. Not not today, but we're going to get there. Number three, in Christ, we're equipped to win. Those of us who are in Christ are equipped to win. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're saved, no matter whatever tag label you want to put on that, listen, I'm not saying those that are in Christ are winning, because listen, there are those of you who are followers of Jesus who at times have gotten your butt kicked, yes or no? Yes. Maybe you're in the process of getting your butt kicked right now, struggling with like what I mentioned earlier, depression, anxiety, fear, stress, even, even suicidal thoughts. If that's you... I'm not here to criticize you. I'm just telling you, if you are in Christ, and this is what I'm, I'm hoping that we get able to do in this series, that we'll begin to realize that Jesus has actually called us and equipped us to live in victory. You are completely equipped to win. Those of us who are in Christ are completely equipped to win. If you're not in Christ, you need to figure out how to do that. You need to talk to us. You need to let us know that you need help trying to ask Jesus to get into your life. You need Jesus. In Jesus, we are equipped to win. Outside of Jesus, we are going to lose. I've had people tell me, you know, when it comes to this Christianity thing, if you're a Christian, you'll never worry. That's not true, because we see the apostles worry all through Scripture. People say, if you're a Christian, you'll never have doubt. That's not true, because the apostles doubted the resurrection. If you're a Christian, you won't struggle with anxiety. That's not true, because the apostle Paul wrote that at one time in his ministry, that he was pressed down, that he was overwhelmed. We're all going to go through those seasons. It's how we go through them. That's what we're going to learn, that how we go through them is what makes the difference. That's what we're going to discover. Because at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I've read the end of the book, and I know who ultimately wins. It's Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, if he's, if he's calling out to us to take us from where we are into who he wants us to be, when we get on this side over here, 
This is victory over here. This is victory. And that's ultimately what he wants. That's ultimately what he's called every one of his followers into is victory. Victory. Let's stand and pray.